live and underway here on ESPN Plus. Alongside my good friend Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebastian Salazar. Uh, Pellegrino Matarazzo, of course, the American-born manager of Stuttgart in the Bundesliga. We'll be hearing from him a little bit later on in the show. Speaking of coaches, we have another twist, another turn on the Liga MX coaching carousel. Herc, you can hear all about that in the Football Americas podcast, which, of course, you can download right out of the ESPN FC feed. We're also going to hear tonight from Jeff Carlisle, who has all the latest on the upcoming presidential election in U.S. soccer. Herc, but let's start with some news that we already discussed, but is now official. Hector Herrera and the Houston Dynamo coming to terms on a contract through 2024 with, by the way, we should add a club option for 2025. The 31-year-old Mexican international will join Houston on a free transfer this summer when his current deal with Atletico Madrid expires. Hachiachas reported salary, $6.5 million per season. Now, Herka, recently we discussed this from a Mexican national team perspective. Reported that. Uh, people reported it. Are you reporting something different? There's no chance of $6.5 million. Somebody oh. should be fired if it's that. Oh, oh, so what are you reporting then? No, I'm not saying. I'm just saying okay, if that's the case. Okay, got it. So you're not saying well, anything. You just Good. said reported. Okay. Great. Off to a great start here. Uh, so we, <laughs> we hit this from the Mexican national team perspective quite a bit. I think uh, everybody who watches this show or follows me on Twitter knows how uh, I feel about that. What about mm. from MLS and a Dynamo perspective? Is this, after almost a decade in the major league soccer wilderness, the move that's going to bring the Houston Dynamo back to relevance? There you go. You said it. The last decade, they've not been relevant in Major League Soccer. Hell, Seb, they've not been relevant in their own market. One playoff appearance in the last, how many, eight years? For, for a team that shot out the gate out of the beginning, listen, the Brian Ching, Ching the, the Stuart Holden, Jeff Cameron, De Rosario days, Ale Moreno, they're gone. They're gone. Nowhere to be found. Uh, we're talking about this team's not had an all-star, what, an MLS all-star in, what, four seasons? Uh, it, mediocrity. And that's mm. where they're going. And that's where they've been. They have everything to be successful. Seb, you've been in that town. You've, mm. you've seen this organization up close. It's a downtown-centric stadium. It's in Texas, the heart of Mexican America. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's California or Texas. There should be no reason why you can't Fill that stadium with seats. There should be no reason why you can't be successful with that home field advantage. Nobody likes playing in Texas. Nobody likes playing in Houston in that humidity. You could have a fortress. They've not. Now, will he be the man to make him turn that corner? Are we really going to go down that route with Hector Herrera? Uh, Generously, they put 31 years of age. He's already borderlining the 32 years of age. He's a player that's not played in three years. It's a good step. Uh, Ted Siegel, I love what they're doing. Good step, okay? Ted Siegel, love it. Pot Anstead, Paulo Nagamura, you got the GM, you got the head coach, you got Sebastian Ferreira, another young DP, you got Hector Herrera, you've got a very interesting lineup. Corey Baird, you got Fafa Picol, you got some interesting elements, but it's gonna take a lot more than Hector Herrera to really turn this around. But it's a good cornerstone mm-hmm. for said movement. This is absolutely, Herc, a turning point for the Houston franchise. I'll tell you why. Because they have tried in the past to engage the Mexican-American market. They've just done it on the cheap, right? They brought in somebody like Cubo Torres or Luis Angel Landin, and they thought that would work. Well, neither of those really worked on the field, and they certainly didn't work. Cubo was a goal scorer there. Don't say on the field. He had a good season. No, 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 no. No. Briefly, briefly, briefly was he effective with Houston. Here's the point. 
is that none of those guys brought in the brought in the fans, right? If you've ever if you've ever seen a game in Houston Stadium, you know they have orange seats. You know that because they rarely, if ever, <laughs> sell out. And to your point about a downtown stadium, you're a hundred percent right. This is a major coup for Houston. It's also significant for MLS. There are very few teams that have that downtown stadium. The fact that Houston has one and wasn't filling it was super problematic. And if we look around the rest of the league, and we and we do criticize on this show markets like New York and markets like Chicago, where MLS needs to have big teams in big markets. Uh, Houston's right at that top of the list, right? Houston is a top 10 television market in the United States, and they have been entirely irrelevant, not just in MLS, in the city of Houston themselves. You got pro teams, you got college teams that are more relevant than the Dynamo. So for that, this is absolutely the biggest signing in Dynamo history. It's their first ever 3.0 MLS type signing. Dude, this is this is huge for the Dynamo. I get what you're saying that it's not going to make them maybe MLS Cup favorites oh. overnight, but this is this is massive. They've Hold never on. done anything like this before. Hold on. I'm not saying it's not massive in terms of trying to change your identity, but you're trying to tell me that Hector Herrera is going to put people in the stands? Are you trying to tell me he's going to fill up that stadium? Is that what you're trying to say? You know that market very well, Seb. Choose your words wisely. I think Hector Herrera is going to go a long way towards filling that stadium. Yeah, I don't think he's got the star power of a Chicharito or a nope. Carlos Vela, if you, want nope. to make, if you want to make those comparisons. Obviously, he doesn't have that star power, but he's a big name. He's well-known to Mexican fans. And unlike the other two, he's actually a part of the national team right now. So, yes, dude, I think he will have an incredible impact he's on Houston Dynamo player, ticket he's sales. He's a guy who people want out of the national team. Listen, I'm a huge Hector Herrera fan. You know this. I'm a huge proponent. I think Hector Herrera is a, is a brilliant player, a very cerebral footballer, and I think he's got a lot left in this tank in could help Major League Soccer and the Houston Dynamo. But if you're going to honestly tell me he's going to put people in the stands, listen, there's only one Mexican player today, today, that can put people in the stands. That's not already in Major League Soccer. That's not named Carlos Vela or Javier Hernandez. And that is Chucky Lozano. He's the only player that's going to make people come see. The casuals, I want to go check out. The Mexican fans, yeah, I want to be there. Bring out the flags, bring out the jerseys. It's not Hector Herrera. And I go back to that reported $6.5 million. If somebody actually played Hector Herrera that much money, they should be fired. There is no way you overpay for a 32-year-old Hector Herrera. Not a game changer. Not that game changing ability. Javier Hernandez touched the ball twice in the box. Okay, one was a shot that he that Sean Johnson got a touch on. The other one was the goal in the 89th minute. Game changer. Carlos Vela, game changer. Those are the type of players that you overpay for. Hector Herrera is a very good player, a very good player on a lot of fronts, but you do not overpay for him. Dude, I don't know how you get a very good player on a lot of fronts to go from Atletico Madrid and the top levels of European football to the Houston Dynamo without overpaying him. But let's go down that road because let's take it out of the the Dynamo perspective and go even bigger picture with Major League Soccer. Clearly, there's a trend in recent years, Herc, of chasing and, as you say, overpaying for Mm -hmm. these Mexican veterans. Should MLS keep doing it? MLS should never do anything that doesn't make sense for them, one, tactically, and two, on the marketing aspect, and that's a reality, because we've seen things like this happen before. Rafa Marquez, wow, make tons of sense, right? Look at all the Mexicans in the United States, Mexican-Americans, first, second, third, fourth generation. Look at the Barca fans who saw him part of that historic Barcelona team. He goes to New York Red Bull, what happens? Did he put people in the stands? Did he change the culture there? No. So you have to be very careful with these. Sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't. I still think to this day, 
One of the most significant signings in Major League Soccer was Cuauhtémoc Blanco. What mm. he did for that Chicago Fire. How important that Chicago Fire team was while Cuauhtémoc was there. And then you have a player like Chicharito Hernández, who I've gone on this program and these platforms on ESPN, and I said it's the most significant signing since David Beckham. Carlos Vela changed the course of the history of Major League Soccer because he was historic. You don't score 34 goals, 15 assists if you're not worth it. And what he did, putting people in those stands. This is the type of Mexican player you pay for, veteran or not. But you don't just go for him because they're Mexican. That's not the right move. Mm. Uh, this strategy is interesting because it's actually born out of an MLS failure, at least one that I think. If you remember the 2014 World Cup, Herc, there were astronomical ratings for the U.S. team. And I think the folks at Major League Soccer thought, okay, we'll bring the stars of that U.S. team back to Major League Soccer and the ratings will follow. And so they overpaid for American stars. Yeah. Not all that different from what they're doing with Mexican stars. Guys like Tim Howard, Clint Dempsey, Michael Bradley, Josie Altador. And yet when those guys came back, the ratings didn't soar through the roof. Now, they've changed their perspective, right? So, okay, the American stars won't do it. Will the Mexican stars do it? Now, you know this well because you call games on ESPN Deportes and I know you see those rating reports. What's happened, what's happened to ratings in Spanish language over the last couple years for MLS? Yep, exactly. They're going up. So there's definitely an impact here. Now, as you and I both know, not every Latino, folks, in the United States is Mexican or Mexican-American, right? So there's a limit to this. At yeah. some point, if you keep going down this road and you're only bringing in Mexican stars, guess who you're only going to attract? Mexican-American fans. And that's great for MLS, but there's a lot more people out there uh, in American soccer. Let's change gears here and let's talk about John Brooks, who will leave Wolfsburg, Herc, at the end of the season. The club announcing this on Tuesday. Brooks joined Wolfsburg in 2017 for a then-record fee for an American international of $22.4 million. Brooks started 24 games across all competitions this season. All told, he's made 136 career appearances for Wolfsburg. All right, Herc, so uh, what should John Brooks do next? He's looking for a team with a couple months to go before a World Cup. I'm guessing you're going to say he should just go back to MLS. Maybe maybe join Hector Herrera at the Houston Dynamo, right? Yeah, that's what's best for him. You know what's funny is there actually seems to be this narrative that that's the best thing for John Brooks to do is go to Major League Soccer, and somehow that's going to magically give him a World Cup spot. No, 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 no. That's not how it's, Look, if it's not clear to you right now that John Brooks isn't part of the setup for Greg Berhalter, I don't know how much more clear it can get for you. He's 29 years old. Okay, mm -hmm. John Brooks is a player with almost 300 professional appearances. He's got a World Cup under his belt. He's got Champions League experience. And he happens to be a very, very good center back in the top third in statistics in the Bundesliga among, amongst center backs. So what he needs to do is go where he can still be of value. He needs to stay in Europe. I would love to see him in a very technical league because I think he's a very good passer. He's got a very cerebral brain playing out of the back. And he's also got some crazy physical intangibles. So, but I don't want to see the physical. I don't want to see such a physical league. I want to see him in a technical league. So Bundesliga, I think, is a must. If you can stay in Bundesliga, stay in Bundesliga. But if not, I would love to see him somewhere like La Liga. I think he's got that quality about him. But this go to Major League Soccer and find yourself in a World Cup? Uh, no, that, that's not it. Okay, so... I think if you're talking about going from the Bundesliga to MLS, 
like I think with Hector Herrera going from La Liga to MLS, there's a likelihood that dropping a level in quality where you play, where you train, could impact you at the World Cup. I actually don't think being in MLS would hurt him in the eyes of the national team coach, right? In terms of the chances of making the team, not what he would actually be capable of doing from a performance standpoint in Qatar, just making the team, I don't think being in MLS would hurt him. In fact, it might, and this is just kind of a guess based on maybe proximity bringing them closer together, help heal that relationship between Greg Berhalter and John Brooks, which I think the relationship healing is going to be the first step uh, before Brooks gets back into the team. My other question here from an MLS perspective is like, how much interest would there actually be in John Brooks? Uh, he's not going to get whether you think it's $6.5 million a year or not, he's not going to get Hector Herrera money, right? Well, you're you're probably not, not going to make a, a center back, a designated that's player. That's it right there, Seb. There, there are not a lot of teams that are lining up mm-hmm. to sign designated player center backs. That's not where they spend their money. These teams are front-loaded. They're front-heavy. That's what it is. And No, a center back, a 29-year-old center back, I don't care if he's American, I don't care where he plays, is not in that mix. So we have talked a lot about John Brooks' form as it relates to the other center backs in the U.S. men's national team pool on this show. Does this decision from Wolfsburg for you in any way confirm all the comments that we've heard from Greg Berhalter about John Brooks' form? Wait a second. This is the funny thing. People seem to think this is Wolfsburg's decision. This is John Brooks' decision. He's the one deciding to walk away. He's the one giving Wolfsburg the thanks. John Brooks, by the way, in a problematic year, in a year where he had these issues at Wolfsburg with management, has managed to play 80% of the games. He's played in all but three games. He's a starter for Wolfsburg. Now, Wolfsburg may be struggling, but if you look at the Bundesliga calendar, I mm-hmm. mean, everybody is struggling. They're not that far off from a, from a Europa League spot if you really think about it. That's how tight the, the uh, table is in the Bundesliga. This form, this, this John Brooks isn't informed thing is an excuse for Greg Werhalter just to not call him up. Instead of mm. Gregor Halter saying, you know what, there are others in front of him. You know what, right now it's not his time. He chose to go with form, which isn't the case. Yeah, I don't, I don't think this Wolfsburg decision or Brooks decision is, is down to form anyway. I think it's down to money, right? Because they've been negotiating on yep. a potential contract extension. Seems like the two sides uh, just really couldn't come together. We'll find out about his form based on interest from elsewhere, right? If there's a lot of Bundesliga teams that are, that are interested in him, if there's some Premier League teams that come in, maybe like you suggest, Spain, La Liga. If there's a lot of interest from Europe, and hey, you say it's 29. For me, that, that's like right, perfect, almost young prime for a center back. It is then I, I would suggest that his form is, is, is much greater than what we've been hearing from Greg Berhalter. If there's not all that interest, then maybe Greg Berhalter's right. Let's run it back with some U.S. men's national team action from the midweek. Let's start with Cameron Carter-Vickers, who got his third goal of the Scottish League campaign in a 2-0 win over St. Mirren, one that keeps Celtic ahead of Rangers and top of the table. I know it's a Scottish premiership, but there are some big clubs rumored to be after him. Leicester City, West Ham, Wolves... Amongst those interested, heads up. The 24-year-old on loan, currently from Spurs. And look out, we talk about the center backs on the U.S. men's national team quite a lot. Could he be a a late arrival to the World Cup roster? Josh Sargent, he gets an assist in Norwich City's 2-1 FA Cup loss to Liverpool. His second assist at Anfield this season, Herc. And in front of it, you saw right there, Greg Berhalter. Mm -hmm. Second assist in like the last, what, two weeks against Liverpool. Fatherhood has treated him well, now in front of Greg Berhalter. Can we see him in the mix this next window? So, good shout. Berhalter in attendance there. You saw him uh, sitting with King Kenny, Kenny Dog Leash. So, Greg Berhalter at Anfield gets the, the VIP treatment. Checking in 
on Josh Sargent playing for Norwich City in the FA Cup. Good news here, Matthew Hoppy is back after a long injury layoff. He played the last 22 minutes, Herc, in Mallorca's 2-0 defeat to Real Sociedad on Wednesday. Jonathan Gomez on the bench. Uh, yeah, look, people forget he's still only 22 years of age. I'm not counting him out for Qatar, but you need to get on the field, stay healthy, and stay on the field. Matthew Hoppy then back in action for La Liga. Plenty more La Liga on ESPN Plus this coming weekend. We got Serginho Des Barcelona visiting Elche on Sunday. Coverage starts at 10.15 a.m. Eastern time. And, of course, you can see that right here on ESPN Plus. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. When it rains, it pours, and it is pouring right now on Liga Mekis manager Santiago Solari, who was relieved of his duties as Club America manager on Wednesday, the latest victim after America's 1-1 draw against Querétaro. That was on Tuesday night. This season, Solari's team had earned just one victory and only six points from their first eight games so far. Herkles Aguilas are dead last with nine games left. Is there still time to salvage something from the wreckage of this America season? Yeah, there's still time. Let's be honest. Uh, Liga Mekis is very, very forgiving. That's the way the system is. They're 18th place. But even though they're dead last out of 18, Seb, they're two points behind Repechaje, the play-in position. Two points. And if you want to go further, okay, they're only eight points out of direct play-in for the Ligia, which is one through four. They're four. They're eight points out of that fourth place. That's the way Liga Mekis is. You accumulate one, two, three wins in a row, you're mm. back in it because of how the close the playoff system is, how short the seasons are. But this is where it gets a little tricky for them, okay? This is... They've already dropped points at home versus Querétaro. They're winless, by the way, at Sadio Azteca this season. They have Monterrey, who will not be easy, one of the most luxurious teams in all of uh, Liga Mekis. They've got Chivas, which is a Clásico, never easy. They have to go to Cholos and Tijuana, who are undefeated. They've got León, who are a very good team. they got Tigres, who's the best team not only this decade, but proving it again in Liga Mekis this season, the most offensive team. And guess who they close out the tournament against? Cruz Azul. Cruz Azul. It's a very daunting schedule. So can they do it? Is it stable? Yes. But it looks very difficult. No. No. There's <laughs> nothing to be saved from this season for America. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> tell because me. of the demand, Herc. Because of the exigencia. See, America can't. They're not Chivas, okay? America cannot oh. save their season by sneaking through the back door into the repechaje, okay? For America, even you get to a final and you lose. It's a fracaso. So this team is, it's a fracaso. They're, they're not getting anywhere near where they need to be to salvage this season. And, and the one thing about America is, is you can't lower the expectations, right? That's what makes America, America, the big team in Mexico, because they don't lower the expectations. So there's nothing to be, I don't think, uh, salvaged from this season. To your point about the schedule, you read off all those teams. In the first, in their next six games, 
Nobody that they're playing is above eighth in the table, okay? So the, in theory, they should be able to make some hay there. It's that last three where they're going to run into trouble. If they don't do it in the next six, it's over. They're not, forget repechaje, because if they wait till Leon Tigres and Cruz Azul, uh, it's over. All right, so we have a new interim manager, Fernando Ortiz. Former America player, been coaching the under-20s. The question is now, should America be looking for the full-time manager or should they wait until the summer? What do you think? By the way, that, that shot you took at Chivas and that sound we heard was the uh, producer's heart shattering into a million pieces. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Beto. Sorry, Beto. Yeah, permanent replacement. Uh, listen, are you really going to go out and get on the table a Marcelo Bielsa to come back? Because he's been there. Are you gonna he's get, available. Are you going to get Gallardo, Muñeco Gallardo? Are you going to get a Crespo? Like, right now, are you really going to get those guys, those guys that you really, really would want if you're an America fan? Probably not. Are you going to get who you want within Liga Mekis? Because guess who's been rumored? Guess who's been, they're knocking on that door is Nicolas Larcamon, Puebla's mm -hmm. coach. You're not going to get him this season. That's a reality, so you have to wait. So probably the smartest thing to do on a lot of different fronts, financially, mm -hmm. timing-wise, and what is actually the footballing-wise, like just who you can actually get, would be to wait. Would be to stick it with the interim. Stick with the interim right now. There's going to be the U20 coach. See what you can do this season. Call it a wash if that's what you want to do because you've obviously said there's no save in this season and then go from there. Don't make a rash decision. Don't do any, something that's going to uh, tie you in furthermore. Mm. I'm with you, right? Because you got to get it right. Um, Santiago Baños is the president. And when things start to go bad and you start firing people, eventually you run out of people to fire. Yeah. Right? So if you look back at Ricardo Pelaez and his tenure as, 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 as a guy in charge at America, not only is there much more trophies, it's the team that he built that won once Baños took over. So Santiago Baños right now has, has to prove that he can build a team, that he can get the right head coach, and that, and, and that he's the guy. I don't know right now that he is. That The jury is still out now on Santiago Baños. I'm with you, Herc. I think they should wait. The one thing is, you don't know. You say, okay, Crespo, he's available now. Bielsa, he's available now. You don't know if those guys are going to be available um, in the summer when you might have a shot at a Larcamon or I don't know. M maybe there's some talk. Maybe America should kick the rocks on like a young Mexican manager. There's only really guys, one of those. If you're right? those guys, why go now? And, and, like, really risk of not even having a window to get your team in place. That's, that's mm. the only thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, one, one name maybe I think we should, we should bring up, Jimmy Lozano. Uh, I, I know he's a good friend of the show. Maybe, maybe it's time for America to have a, a, a Mexican manager back in charge. Maybe that's the way to go. You want to take away from Nicaxa? Give, really give, give me a young Mexican manager in with charge Nicaxa. of the biggest team in Mexico. That, that would make me happy. All right. Shots fired. Did you see this on Twitter, Hurt? I did. Puebla social media account after an earthquake in Mexico City earlier in the day. That's the context here. Uh, Puebla asking, did you feel the quake down there? Of course, uh, referencing the table where Puebla's second and America's 18th. The uh, tweet was eventually deleted, Herc. Probably the right call. Yeah, listen, it's wrong, right? Yeah. <laughs> if there was an earthquake in Mexico strong enough to worry people given its history with quakes, it's in bad taste. And number two, you're not sitting at number one. You know, you're, you're number two right now behind Pachuca, and you're trying to take a shot at America, who's got how many titles? Ah, come on. Come on. Come on. Menyat San Jose, Mazatlan's Spanish manager, has been let go. Another one to the list. Mazatlan's 16th in the table right now. San Jose won just 28% of his games since taking over in May of last year. San Jose, that uh, makes him the seventh Herc Liga MX manager to lose their jobs this 
calendar year, uh, and it's only March 3rd, so this number's sure to grow, Herc. Yeah, it's sure to grow. If we're being honest, maybe Chivas, Michelle Año could be the next. That could be eight, but to get the 10, whoo, I mean, you'd have to see Cruz Azul going on a downfall, who has a double tournament, Leon, you know, Haaland going on a downfall. I think it's gonna be tough. Seven, as of the moment that we are recording this show is what we should say, uh, because this could always change very quickly. Up next, Herc, are you cool with it? Let's talk penalty, specifically the missed penalty from Luis Romo of Rayados against Leon on Tuesday night. Rodolfo caught that with the save. Herc, you cool with how Romo took this? Yeah, I'm cool with it, because we see guys that are Raul Jimenez take them that way all the time. You, you, yeah, but they make it. You Not all the time. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. It's not the first time he's he's missed. It's not the first time he's made that type of shot either. Listen, Cota, Rodolfo Cota, happens to be pretty good at penalty kicks, okay? He's already saved 14. He's got 29.78% success rate on penalty kicks. My man's a beast. I don't know, Herc. If a penalty taker, you got to resort to tricks. You got an advantage. Just use it. Let's flash back three years ago. It's Romo facing Cota again, and he's, a similar result. He's so good at waiting. He waits so long. Listen, my man Cota, I know him personally. He's got a gift when it comes to these penalty kicks. Here's the mistake, though. The, the guy, Romo, shooting because the goalkeeper waits so long, he starts doubting himself. Look at how he hits it. Okay, so not all flashbacks are bad, Herc. This is the 2021 Gold Cup. No, no, We're no. We're doing it for the national Nations team. League. Nations League. Oh, Nations League. Yeah. He did it well. See? Were you angry at that one? When he shot that way, Seb? I just don't think... Why do you do it? Just slam the ball into the net. Why <laughs> play games? Uh, how far back were we willing to go? 2016. This is the Liga Mekis uh, under-20 final. Roma on the turf. The game winner. <laughs> You're my favorite part. Hey, wait, let me ask you this. Would you ever take a penalty like this? Uh, I no. have taken a penalty like that. How'd uh, it go? Yeah, I made it, but I wouldn't do it in a pressure situation like that. There you go. All right, we got the more Liga Mekis action from Wednesday night. Atletico San Luis hosting Chivas game. Couldn't really have gotten off to a worse start for Chivas. They were down 2-0 at the half. Look at Bertarame. Look at my man, Campeón de Goleo last season. Look how he finishes the ball. I mean, literally, he's on the ground and he kind of like scissor kicks it in. Check this out, Seb. <laughs> a goal scorer's goal, right? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Berterame in the uh, 21st minute, putting Chivas behind. Uh, jota, Jota. Oh my goodness. 43rd minute, a second goal for Atletico San Luis. Ramon Juarez. Ramon Juarez del Castillo. That's a good finish, man. Look where he puts it. Far post ain't gonna get it. And then look at Beltran. Fernando Beltran, LNA. Venga. Beltran starting the uh, Chivas comeback there in the 48th minute from distance to make it two to one. It felt like a different game in the second half. Chivas would eventually get their equalizer in the 69th minute, Herc, through Jesus Angulo. Yeah, it's a good little ball. This isn't it right there. That was a good little ball right there. Berta's got to finish that. And look, you think it's about time Chivas goes home with another loss. They keep pressing, looking for it. I really thought this was San Luis's. I thought they were going to win. And then here you go. Look at this. Uh. Chivas with the equalizer there. Still 10th in the table. They've won just two of eight so far this season under Marcelo Michel Leaño. Tigres and Cruz Azul also Wednesday night. At El Volcan. This was a great game. Uh, Tigres were rolling early here, Herc. Uh, Andre Pierignac 
scored in the 11th minute, but uh, just all around, I thought this was a very well-played match. Yeah, Uriel Antunes having an excellent season with Cruz Azul. Little shot right there, but look at this. Quinones gonna find right there. Andre Pierre Gignac. Oh, it's Vigon to Gignac. Good finish, and that's his seventh of the campaign, Seb. There are teams who don't have more than seven goals. I'm talking he about Monterrey. scoring. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I, was, I was wondering when you were gonna, when the shade was gonna come in uh, on the half hour mark. Juan Pablo Vigon, who's balling right now. Can he get a look? Come on, man, I get mean, a look. Is he too old for a look? What's up with that? He's like 30. Is that too old no, to, to, man. to, to this, break this in for the national good. team? He was good at Pumas, he's good at Tigres. It's over. Let's go home. Call it, rap. Call it. Oh. I mean. Cruz Azul uh, pulling a. a Page out of the opposite end of their playbook. Yeah, a stoppage, stoppage time in the first time half. Goal in yeah. the uh, first half to cut the lead in half. And uh, later on, 80th minute here. What a game. I mean, how many chances? Yeah. And then look, that's Santi Jimenez right here. Look at this. Look what he's going to do right there. Aguido Pizarro. Whoop! Oh my goodness. Splits him. And then it's Ignacio Rivero. Cruz Azuliada! Cruz Azuliada! Wait, that's not, the, that's not how it goes. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Our first guest then on tonight's edition of the show, none other than Jeff Carlisle. You can find all his great work over on our website, ESPN.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeffrey Carlisle. Jeff, welcome back to Football America. It's great to have you. Thanks for having me on. All right, Jeff, we got some heavy news to get to. Now, uh, last week I was covering the U.S. Women's National Team at the She Believes Cup, and we got the news that everybody around American soccer had been waiting for. There's finally a settlement between the Women's National Team and the U.S. Soccer Federation over that long equal pay lawsuit. However, as always, there's an asterisk. This deal doesn't get pushed across the line until the women have a new CBA with the Federation. So give us the details on that. Where do we stand on that critical part of this settlement? Well, talks are ongoing, um, and this is going to extend, you know, pretty far beyond, you know, the election uh, for USSF president, which is set to take place this weekend. Um, I'm told that there have been like almost two weeks, you know, starting on on March 14th, blocked off to to get this settlement done, um, and this is having to happen hand in hand with with what the men are going through. I mean, the men are negotiating their own CBA. And they're the ones that are going to have to agree to, to share the World Cup revenue, hmm. or at least the bonus revenue that uh, that either team would get, in, you know, in a tournament. So, um, you know, there's some moving parts here, um, you know, but we'll see, you know, how things transpire. Um, but again, this is, you know, the talks are ongoing and it, a lot will happen, you know, a lot will depend on who gets elected president on Saturday, whether that's Carlos Cordero or the incumbent Cindy Parlo Cone. Jeff, you mentioned the men's uh, CBA still ongoing. Uh, how will the women's uh, search of equal pay affect the men in their CBA? You know, I, I have a sense that eventually the two sides are going to come together on that, that, that the men and the women are going to figure out a way you know, to share that piece of the pie. 
I think what could get tricky is that the men agreed to a deal or thought that they had agreed to a deal last June. And they are very intent on maintaining uh, the terms of that agreement that they thought they had. Um, you know, the, the, the men's union had agreed with Will Wilson on a particular deal. And then when it was presented to the board of directors, the board of directors said, no, we're not, we're not gonna agree to this deal. And that's created a little bit of ill will on the men's side. So ultimately, I don't think the sticking point is gonna be sharing the World Cup revenue, but it's gonna be, you know, can the men agree to these terms that they thought they had, you know, last summer. So there's a, that's a little bit of a, a tricky dynamic, I think. Um, and, and again, we'll, we'll see what, what gets agreed to for the women's deal as well as the men's deal. Jeff, what's taken so long? You said that last June they agreed and they thought they had something in hand. What's taken so long? Well, I mean, the deal got pulled off the table and that left a lot of bitterness and, and a lot of uh, unhappiness on the part of the men's union. Um, you know, again, they, the, the, the union leadership agreed a deal or thought they had agreed a deal with Will Wilson. You know, they thought that he was going to be the decision maker that was going to agree to this particular deal. But, but then when it got presented to the board of directors, they said no. So I think there's a little bit of confusion and a, and a lack of trust, I would say, on the men's side, just in terms of, well, if we agree to a deal again, you know, who's to say that the board isn't going to you know, turn their backs on that deal as well? So. Um, so I think there's been a real breakdown in trust. You know, there was talk of them going on strike. Obviously, that didn't happen. But, um, you know, that, that was a real setback in terms of the men's CBA. And obviously, that's had a little bit of a cascade effect in terms of the women's CBA and trying to come to some kind of agreement on these World Cup bonuses. Jeff, let's get into this presidential election. We got the incumbent, Cindy Parlo-Cohn, and the person that she replaced, Carlos Cordero, going head-to-head, as you mentioned, uh, this coming Saturday at the AGM for U.S. soccer down in Atlanta. Let's start with a very basic question about this election, because I don't feel like a lot of people know this. Who actually votes and where is the power, kind of the deciding power in all this concentrated? Because we keep hearing a lot about the Athletes Council. Yeah, there's four main constituencies. There's the, the... The youth state associations, there's the adult amateur state associations, there's what's called the Pro Council, which includes NWSL, USL, MLS, and then there's the Athletes Council. And there was some legislation passed uh, at the congressional level last year that required the athletes to have one-third of the vote in any kind of national council or on the board of directors. And so some changes have been made. in terms of the, the voting structure and the, and the makeup of the board of directors in the USSF to make sure they you know, abide by the, that particular legislation, that particular law that's now been passed. So right now, the bulk of the power lies with the Athletes Council. Um, again, that's 33 and a third percent of the weighted vote that they're going to be able to, to wield. Um, in the past, the Athletes Council has tended to vote as a block where they, they decide this is the candidate we're gonna get behind you know, this is the person that we're going to throw our, our lot in with. And, and four years ago, that was Carlos Cordero. Uh, but a year ago in the vice presidential election, that was the first sign that maybe the Athletes Council wasn't going to vote as a block going forward. They didn't on that. Hearing is that it's not going to be entirely as a block this time. Um, there have been some public statements from Danielle Slayton, from Lori Lindsay, saying they're backing Cindy Parlo Cohn. But you know, whether the, the, the rest of the Athletes Council is going to, you know, fall in line with that or agree with that, you know, that still remains to be seen. I'm told that there's some meetings taking place later this week to try to, to hash that out and, and see if they are going to vote as a block or if they're going to allow people to kind of go their separate ways. 
Jeff, you're one of the few reporters who's actually been able to make contact with both candidates. Uh, what are the few of the key differences between both? I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. I said you're one of the few reporters who's actually been able to make contact with both candidates. What are the few key differences between the both between both candidates? Excuse me. Well, if you talk to Carlos Cordero, you know he's basically saying, "Hey." The, the grassroots people at, at the state associations for both the adult council and the youth council, they, they asked me to do this. They, they, they want me to run again. They're not happy with the way that the World Cup in 2026 is being managed in terms of, you know, the sponsorships and, and the business opportunity and the opportunity to really grow the sport in this country. Um, so he, you know, he's basically saying, hey, I, I wouldn't be doing this if, if the grassroots folks hadn't asked me to do this. Um, Cindy Parlacone is saying we need to look forward, not backward. And, you know, she's pointing to some some real wins in recent weeks just in terms of, you know, the equal pay lawsuit getting settled and then the new media rights deal. Um, you know, I think some of the details of the media rights deal still need to be kind of picked apart and, and, and analyzed. But, um, you know, those are those are two significant wins that Cindy Parlacone can have. Now, whether that's enough to make anybody change their vote, I think that still remains to be seen. But. Cindy Parlacone's all about looking forward and, and talking about, hey, you know, what a good job she did during a pandemic and trying to basically manage the, the Federation's finances during a very difficult period. Um, Carlos Cordero saying, hey, this, this World Cup in 2026, this opportunity is being squandered, so that's what I'm running again. I'll tell you one of the differences, Herc. Cindy Parlacone will do interviews. Carlos Cordero won't. He did a Q&A <laughs> with Jeff. Uh, he never responded to our request to come on Football America, as you saw from one of our colleagues, Grant Wall. Also tried to reach out to him, couldn't get him uh, on the record. Same for our good friends, Total Soccer Show. There's a lot of people that Carlos Cordero is turning down to talk. I don't know if you can want to be president of something when you want to hide in the shadows. All right, let's get down to brass tacks. Uh, you and I were in Orlando, Jeff, for the last one of these, and I think we did a podcast just before, and I, I, you might have gotten it right. I definitely got wrong who I thought was going to win. Uh, who do you think is going to win this time around? Ooh, I mean, everybody I've talked to, you know, that I've said, hey, how do you handicap this election? All anyone will say is that it's going to be close. Um, you know, I think Cordero's got like a built in 36, 40 percent uh, hmm. of the vote constituency there. Um, and so I, I think a lot of it's going to depend on on the athletes council. I think Cindy Parlo Cohn will probably just shade it. But I mean, this is one of those proverbial elections that can go either way. And. I mean, it's going to be fascinating to see, you know, how people line up and, and what candidate they line up behind. Um, but again, we'll know more on Saturday. And, you know, there, it's it's going to be, you know, especially if Cordero wins. I mean, if he mm. comes back into office, it's going to be interesting to see how sponsors react. It's going to be interesting to see how the women's national team reacts. I mean, they, they, they have this settlement, um, but certainly – at least in their public comments, they don't have too many good things to say about Carlos Cordero. All eyes then on Atlanta this weekend as we get to find out who will be the next president of U.S. soccer. There he is, Jeff Carlisle. Check out his work on ESPN.com. Jeff, as always, thanks for the time. Anytime, guys. All eyes on Atlanta until Sunday, right? And then we got to see Austin FC and see if they're really any good or if they just played FC Cincinnati week one. Austin FC taking on Inter-Miami uh, on Sunday in a game you can catch on ESPN, ESPN Deportes, and streaming live on the ESPN app. Coverage starts 4 p.m. Eastern time. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. In partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. All right, Herc, time for another installment of Get Lost here on Football Americas, where we pick a soundbite and we tell whoever made the soundbite to either get lost or, hey, you know what? You got a valid point. Uh, first on today's list Jesse Marsh talking Ted Lasso at his introductory press conference at Leeds. Yeah, I think there's probably a stigma. <laughs> I'm not sure Ted Lasso helped. Um, I haven't watched the show, but I get it. I get it. Like, people hate hearing the word soccer. They hate hearing, you know, I mean, I've used the word football since I was a, a football, professional football player. I think more and more in the States, we're adapting to what the game here is in England and our connection with, with what this league is and what the culture of the sport is in this country. Um, and all I can say is the only way I know how to do things is to go all in, to give everything I have, to believe in who I am, to believe in the people that I work with, and to try to maximize what we are every day. And, and I find if you can do that effectively that you can be incredibly surprised with the human spirit and what you can achieve. So that sounds like Ted Lasso, I think, from what I've heard. <laughs> All right, Herc, so that's a two Ted Lasso references in one soundbite from watch Jesse it, Marsh. He don't watch it. Uh, should he get lost, or does he have a point? He has a point, and he's doing it in a very charismatic and very mm-hmm. intelligent way because he's telling the English press, the British press, hey, I know about this stigma here. Hey, I know how you've treated my paisanos of the past. But he's turning around in a very intelligent way. Like, we know that our football isn't on brand culturally with yours and that's why I'm here because I want to experience the best type of football there is so he's doing it in a very intelligent way but the reality is there is a stigma when it comes to Americans whether that's management whether that's players etc etc I've said it many times the passport plays against the American in Europe because there is no footballing culture because you're not a footballing nation because they still see you just as the yank I'm with Bob Bradley, who you just saw on the screen there. I, I think the passport only counts on you, against you, when things go bad. And then right. it really, really counts against <laughs> yes. you. I, I love this from Jesse Marsh. Like, he's being super honest and mm-hmm. open about it. I don't know what else he could do. You know, it's, it's definitely going to come up. He may as well be the one that's leading that conversation instead of, like, in the case of Chris Armas, other people start calling you Ted Lasso. Here, yeah. He's already made the connection. So, so nobody else can, can kind of beat him to it. True. I, I think it's interesting that it, at least he says he does watch the show. I don't think he's the only American manager that doesn't watch Ted Lasso or maybe doesn't like the idea of Ted Lasso. Bob Bradley, who again you just saw there in an interview maybe a few months ago with the Cooligans, uh, said he hadn't watched Ted Lasso. And I thought, man, everybody in American soccer surely has seen Ted Lasso. But there are some people 
some people who may not like that show as much. Uh, yeah, Bob Bradley strikes me more as a morning show type of guy. Ah, okay, okay. All right, uh, next up on our list of folks who might, might, might need to get lost, Matias Almeida, who's uh, been hinting at a potential exit from San Jose for well, a while now. Uh, remember, he said, only 10 months until I'm free. San Jose, of course, uh, dropping their season opener 3-1 against the New York Red Bulls, and now Almeida is complaining, not necessarily about his team and not necessarily directly. It's more of a... Uh, passive-aggressive look over the fence at what other people in MLS are doing with their rosters. Firstly, I wanted to congratulate the MLS and Houston. Eh, Houston es una demostración que cree They're showing that they believe Houston. Que quiere crecer. That they want to grow. Que quiere calidad. They want quality. Y que quiere ganar. And they want to win. Y bueno, eh, una fortuna para su entrenador. It's, it's Great fortune for the coach. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? Are you going to tell me to get lost or what? I'm not going to tell this man to get lost. Uh, I'm going to tell you, I told you so. Mm. I'm going to tell you, I told you so. Jesse Farinelli, no longer there, but I told you it was a bad idea. San Jose Earthquake ownership, I told you it was a bad idea. This is a team that squandered a generational talent in Chris Wondolowski. The all-time leading goal scorer in Major League Soccer history won you what? What did you do with them? And now you have a very good coach in Matias Almeida, another generational talent in my mind, and you're letting him go to waste. And he sees that. Mm. He sees what others have. He sees who gets the big, new, shiny toys. He gets to see this, and he's getting fed up with it. My man is more than gone. He gone. Mm. He out. He's not the only MLS coach that's starting to do this. You know, I'm in uh, D.C. usually, Hernando Sada, another, another coach who's kind of saying, hey, look at what everybody else has got. Look at what I don't have. Uh, we always talk about the ownership groups in MLS, and, and maybe we can put pressure on them. The fans can put pressure on them. You know who really puts, puts pressure on an ownership group? The manager, when he comes out and says, hey, my bosses aren't spending. Mm. That's going to send a message. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing, Seb. Like, think about this. If you are, because all these guys are multi-billionaires. They're, they're mm. billionaires. They've got more money than they know what to do with. And all of a sudden, you've got this guy telling you, you're cheap. Everybody else isn't cheap, but you're cheap. That's not embarrassing to them? You know what's embarrassing? Forgetting the 2012 Supporter Shield that the San Jose <laughs> Earthquakes won. What a moment. Goonies! What Goonies a moment. never die in Quake's history. Set of course, we've got uh, La Liga on ESPN Plus coming up for you uh, this weekend. Let's see, ah, Real Betis. They are through to the Copa del Rey final, but they got a huge game Ooh. in the league this weekend. This is basically a six-pointer for one of those four Champions League spots. Real Betis against the defending champions uh, Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern time, noon Pacific on ESPN+. Plus. All right, time for our parting shot, Herc. I don't know if you've been uh, following this. I guess you're out in L.A. You're probably a big Dodgers fan. Uh, Major League Baseball is canceling games as we uh, head to what appears to be a lockout. Of course, uh, I don't really care about baseball, unless it's a Little League World Series. Is this good for Major League Soccer, though? It is. Listen, I don't pay attention to baseball unless it's October uh, because I'm a normal person. I'm a normal human being. Um, in all seriousness, though, <laughs> people are getting fed up with millionaires versus billionaires in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Okay? Uh, baseball's already done this once in the 94-95 season. It took them years to recover, mm -hmm. Seb. And I'm a firm believer the only reason they did recover was because of the steroid era. Those home runs. That's the only reason it did recover. They do it again this go-around. 
Baseball fans, fans in general, are fed up. They're fed up with how old baseball is. They're fed up with the codes, these, these rules, these, these back uh, kind of door things that happen within baseball. And if this happens, of course it could be a benefit for Major League Soccer. Uh, you know how many teams of Major League Soccer are in baseball cities, Major League Baseball cities? 11. Mm. That's more eyeballs, that's more revenue, that's more marketing, that's more people in your stands, that's more people clicking the, the TV remote and finding your games. Of course it's a benefit in a country with so much entertainment to go around i don't know how baseball thinks it can afford to lose out and if you think about the summer months that's kind of the one time where mls doesn't have that much competition but they always have baseball so let's see how long this lasts right if it goes into the summer then i think it could definitely benefit mls generally though i think it'll be a boost for soccer you mentioned the 1994 striker dude i am a perfect example before 1994 i was kind of a all sports fan right? Any, any major American sport I was obsessed with. In 1994, two things happened. Yes, there was a World Cup, but there was also a baseball strike. My interest in baseball never recovered, and here we are. I got a show on ESPN doing soccer. Isn't it a that? World Cup year as well? What, how about, well, <laughs> yes, it is a World Cup year. Yeah, not here in the United States, not here in the United States. Yeah, uh, we have something to celebrate on Monday. It's going to be our one-year anniversary of Football Americas, and the guest list is long. We got Julian Araujo of the LA Galaxy. We got Callan Acosta from LAFC. We got some of the real stars of the show, right? People like Julie Foudy, Mauricio Pedrosa, maybe a few others we're going to mix in as well. So uh, make sure to join us on Monday for our Year one anniversary here on Football Americas. We're still Americas. here, Seb. We're still and as here. As always, a reminder: you can download <laughs> Football Americas in podcast form on the ESPN FC feed. Unfortunately, Herc, we will leave folks tonight with a bit of sad news from the college game, and the news is the passing of young Katie Meyer, goalie for the Stanford soccer team. She helped lead them to an NCAA title in 2019. Passed away earlier. This week, at the age of 22, she was a senior majoring in international relations with a minor in history. Katie Meyer, rest in peace.